Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. The Athletic. It is day 11 of the World Cup here in Qatar. We will be reflecting on both England and the USA progressing to the knockout stages of the competition. And as Iran exit the tournament, we hear first-hand accounts about the impact of anti-government protests from Iranian fans in Qatar. I'm Adam Leventhal and this is The Athletic Football Podcast. Marcus Rashford is running riot for England. Dest has made the run. Trying to get in behind Hatsafi. Pulisic! Christian Pulisic scores for the United States. So Marcus Rashford was the star man to lead England to a comfortable victory over Wales to top Group B. So now Senegal await in the last 16 on Sunday. Meanwhile, it was a little bit more tense for the United States. They held on after nine minutes and 53 seconds of stoppage time to beat Iran 1-0. They progress to the knockout stages. They'll take on Netherlands. I'm joined by our England writer, Jack Pitt-Brook, and also Alex Abnos, our American soccer editor, to pick through what we saw last night. Um, Before we get to Marcus Rashford, and England because it was a little bit more comfortable for England. Let's start with you, Alex. Um, how are you bearing up after especially <laughs> that stoppage time? Yeah, I mean, it, uh, it was very uncomfortable. Uh, it sounds like the complete opposite of the England game. I think the reaction generally for myself and probably anybody that watches the U.S. and national team on a consistent basis is just relief. You mentioned the 9 minutes, 53 seconds of, of stoppage time. Uh, the general consensus seems to be that those were just about the worst, uh, you know, nine minutes and 53 seconds of anybody's life. Um, they really never got control of the game in the second half. Uh, there were some really <laughs> interesting substitutions from, from Greg Berhalter, especially in the second half, um, that really put the U.S. in kind of a conservative shell, really allowed Iran to dictate the game, take the game to them. They had a chance that was basically cleared off the goal line by Walker Zimmerman in those nine minutes and 53 seconds, during which time <laughs> my, my heart was in my throat. And I know that like we had stories that were on deadline that were like half written that were about to be scrapped had Walker Zimmerman not arrived. But he did. Ball was cleared off the line. U.S. goes through. So I guess that's all right. We'll hear from the... Uh the top man in uh, the United States in a moment's time. But Jack, it it was an interesting situation um, at the ground that we were at watching England against Wales with quite a big heavy eye on the other on the other game going on because it was far more tense elsewhere, wasn't it? Yeah, there was no tension in the England-Wales game whatsoever. I think, I mean, it would have needed England to lose 4-0 for uh, England to run the risk of not going through and 
at no point did that ever feel on the cards at all. Like, it, it actually got it. In hindsight, it looks better than it was because the second half was so much better than the first half. But at the first half, it felt like it was just going to be like England, England nil, Slovakia nil at the end of Euro 2016 group stage, which was basically a walking pace draw. Uh, so it, it did get better than it started. As I mentioned, uh, there was someone quite significant in the country watching uh, the US uh, win against Iran, and that was President Joe Biden. Just have a listen to this. USA, USA. That's a big game, man. When I spoke to the coach and the players, I said, you can do this. They went, ah, oh, they're going to. They did it. God love them. Anyway, just thought you might want to hear. So you could hear that Joe Biden was, was fully invested in this moment for the, for the States. Um, Christian Pulisic, obviously the, the hero, scoring the, the winning goal. But a little bit of a worry. Is he, is he going to be okay? Yeah, I mean, the the... The worry was at first that whatever his injury was uh, was going to be serious and keep him out for, for Saturday's round of 16 game. He has said uh, in, on social media that he is going to be fine. The general outlook from the U.S. medical staff is that uh, it's positive. Uh, you know, we'll see how much he trains, whether he trains in the, ne in the next few days, but not as bad as it initially feared. Uh, he was taken out at halftime they say mostly as a precaution. He was feeling a little bit at Disney's, but he was back with his team at the hotel that same night, even though he did go to the hospital. So hard to believe that it was really all that serious, something that would keep him out for a day that's for a game that's four days from now. Just in general terms, where does this rank as a as a sporting moment? I mean, it's hard to say. I'm, the U.S. made it to the round of 16 before in 2010, 2014, and obviously they made it to the quarterfinals in 2002. So we're not at 2002 level yet. That sort of remains the benchmark for modern U.S. men's national team history. But I think right now it probably puts them right around the 2010 and 2014 teams. You could argue all day about which one of those two groups, or, or I guess three groups if you include this one, would be the most difficult to advance out of. 2010 it was England, Slovenia, Algeria, of course. Uh, 2014 was Portugal, Ghana, and Germany, and 2022 was England, Iran, and Wales. I would argue 2014 is probably the most difficult, so they're probably still the benchmark there if you're just talking about advancing to the round of 16. But the point is, is that they're in that conversation, and for a team this young, where pretty much every significant player that is relied upon to create chances and score goals and do work in midfield is around the age of 24, it's pretty good. It's a pretty good achievement. Do you think they are now licking their lips at the, the prospect of facing Netherlands? Or is it almost a feeling now of we've, we've maybe exceeded expectations and we just it's almost like a free hit? Or is that, is that doing them a disservice? And they'll be thinking, well, hang on a minute, we can technically outgun Netherlands here. I don't know that they're necessarily licking their lips at the prospect of facing the Netherlands. The Netherlands is a good team. Um, I, but I also don't think that they are necessarily... Uh, just happy to be here. Their goal going into this tournament has always been to advance out of the group. That's been sort of the, the thing that they absolutely must do. Their, Greg Berhalter has talked all the time about first phase and second phase of the tournament. Once you get into the knockouts, anything can happen. So they've done that, and now they want to win. Whether or not the Netherlands is going to be an easy opponent to play, I don't think they're going to be easy. I don't think anybody in the U.S. camp would tell you they're going to be easy. 
but they'll find some things that they want to do and try to do that. And the other thing I would say generally about the U.S. is that they've shown over the years under Greg Berhalter that they do play up to the level of their competition. I, say, I think we saw that against England. The U.S. didn't look that good against Wales. Like they, they, they were a little bit slow, a little bit not totally in sync. We were worried that they were going to go in against England, who had just put six past Iran, an Iran team I considered to be pretty good defensively, and get completely dominated. And that didn't happen. But if, they, if the U.S. can play against the Netherlands like they played against England, yeah. I think they've got a really, really good chance. Like, I think they might find it hard to score a goal, but then you, know, you can kind of score a goal from anywhere in international football. Like, it, you, know, you, don't need to, you don't need to play that expansively. They can always score from a set piece or whatever. It's a little bit hard to score a goal when you don't have a striker that can yeah. score goals. They can find a way. <laughs> but whatever. It's been a challenge for him. I've sort of went and saw him in the summer, had a long chat with him, and um, he, uh, he had some clear ideas on things that he felt he needed to think about and to do. Um, you can see with his club, there's been happiness in, in his performances this year. And um, I have to say that's shown itself on the training ground all the time with us. You know, we've got a different version completely to the player we had uh, in the Euros last summer. So he's, um, you know, he's, he's managed to produce those moments tonight. He could have, could have had a hat-trick, really, with the chance in the first half and then the one at the near post towards the end. Um, but great for him. And because it's great for him, it's great for us. We saw with England, Jack... Marcus Rashford and his speed more in the second half obviously his his skill with the with the free kick as well having an impact he's in he can't be dropped now can he well that this is the huge question that Southgate's got over the next week or, or between now and the Senegal game on Sunday does he I mean Foden and Foden and Rashford were fantastic in the second half yesterday um, Rashford scored twice Foden was Foden was brilliant as well and can he does he stick with those two because they played so well or does he go back to Sterling and Saka who started the first two games like generally speaking Southgate is very loyal to his senior please very very loyal to Sterling so for him to not play Sterling in a World Cup knockout game would be a huge change of Southgate's policy that said Southgate, just in a press conference just last week, Southgate talked about the importance of a meritocracy and how if you play well, you have to, be, you have to by rights, keep your place in the team. So it's, I think it's one of the biggest selection decisions Southgate's ever had to make. And I, I can't quite figure out which way I think he's going to go. It will be interesting to see how he views it, having also made the switch at halftime to, to switch Foden to the left, Rashford to the right. So he's almost part of it as well so he might feel well you know I've, I've made a tactical switch that was game changing it gives me an opportunity to to also sort of back my own my own decisions in this so he doesn't necessarily have to feel too bad if he does drop sterling yeah it's I think it would. I do think he would find it really, really difficult not to play Sterling. There's been so you know during the 2018 World Cup, during Euro 2020, there have been so many people calling for him to drop Sterling, and he's always, always, always stuck by Sterling, and he's generally been rewarded for it. Sterling was England's best player in the Euros last year, but this time, I mean, look, Sterling isn't playing well in general. Like he's not. I think he played pretty well against Iran, not so well against the USA, but it would still be a it would still be a huge reversal for Southgate to go into a game this big and to not have him on the team. So I think if I had to guess, 
I'd say Sterling plays, but it's like a 55-45 split in my mind. It's also tough to judge as well because Wales were poor and have been poor throughout this tournament. So in terms of, you know, benchmark, it's difficult, isn't it? Well, yeah, it is. I mean, I did think Wales Wales weren't as bad as I thought they were going to be. They were they were solid, I thought but they, I mean, they it, were better. They, I think switching to the back four helped them because it gave it means you're not having two midfielders, one of whom is Ramsey. Like by having Joe Allen in there as well, they had a better platform for Ramsey. And um, clearly, Bale, you know, they're kind of playing with ten men because Bale clearly isn't fit. I I, I could count on one hand the number of times he made anything resembling a run or a sprint or anything when they played against Iran and I was watching him pretty closely because I was sure that he was going to cause trouble and he just never did he got hooked at half time yesterday having not really been involved at at all in the first half like it's actually I think quite sad because you know this is Bale's whole career has been building up to this moment and sadly his his body isn't on the level to be able to allow him to I mean, that one penalty kick aside, he's not really been able to perform anywhere like he would have wanted to. And he has said that there was a bit of tightness in his hamstring. That's the reason why he was hooked. Um, And he's also vowed to to fight on. It'll be interesting to see how that develops when he does get back and think, well, you know, it's another two years until the Euros. Obviously, you know, another four years until the next World Cup. That's highly unlikely. But he he wants to fight on. It would be nice if he does have some sort of sweeter end to his international career but time is against him yeah, isn't it so in the press conference last night rob page said that he doesn't think this will be the last time we'll see bale playing for wales he pointed to the start of the euro 2020 four qualifiers which start in march so not too far away i'm, sh- I'm sure bale would want to give that cycle a go what i don't know is what will he do in terms of club football between now and then like will he start, you know will he stay at la will he find a club back in europe will he I don't know, just try and stay fit and get ready for March. Um, I think it's all up in the air at the moment. I think everybody's waiting to hear from Bale. I will say that if he stays with LA, it's not going to be as if he'll have an automatic spot in that starting 11. Like, it was tough for him to crack it during the season. Now, granted, he was like trying to get back fitness for the vast majority of his time there, and he did score that amazing goal to basically win MLS Cup. So it's not as if he was without his positives. But... LAFC is the kind of team where they just constantly retool up front and they have constantly new and exciting and young attacking players in exactly the kinds of positions where Bale wants to be. So if his goal is to get fit and to get match fit and to be playing games and involved, you know, I, I, just, I just don't know if he's going to find that at LAFC. Maybe he will. I would lo- it would be great if he does and he finds great form in MLS. It would be very fun for those of us back in the States. We've dealt with the USA's next game in the knockouts. How do you think England will view meeting Senegal, the African champions, in that round of 16 game? I think it's going to be tough. Um, Senegal are a really good team. They, ha- I mean, obviously they're different without Sadio Mane, but they've still got some fantastic players. You know, Mendy's a great player. Um, Koulibaly's a great player. Your mate Saar is a fantastic player as well. Uh, so I... I think it's yeah, it's going to be a difficult game. I think they're you know they're very, they actually play really good football. Like people always you know there's always there's a uh, stereotype around African teams about athleticism, and obviously there is a lot of athleticism in that team. But I watched I watched most of their games in the African Cup of Nations um, six months ago because I wanted to see if Pat Matasar would play the the Tottenham midfielder, and they you know they really knocked the ball around around well. I think. Ali Ucise is a fantastic manager who's been there a long time. He's obviously part of the, the, the great 2002 team. So I think it's going to be tough. Like I, think, I think England, and I also think England are going to have to, 
you know, they, they blew Iran away in that first game. They were, didn't really do much against the USA. And then yesterday they raised in the second half. But they're going to need another level of, I think, physical and mental intensity over 90 minutes for this game. Um, I'm sure they'll be able to hit it. But if they don't hit it, they're going to get punished. And they've got time. They've got until um, both sides, USA and England, until Saturday and Sunday. And we will continue, of course, to build up to the games right here on The Athletic. But it's just great to have the US there, isn't it? This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. This is a paid advertisement from Better Health Therapy Online. Do you ever get that feeling that you need to get something off your chest? We all carry around different stresses, big and small. And when we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe place to release and discuss those thoughts and feelings and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. And if you're thinking of starting therapy, why not give BetterHelp a try? It's entirely online and it's designed to be convenient, flexible and suited to your schedule. All you need to do is fill out a brief questionnaire to match with a licensed therapist. And if things don't click, you can switch to someone new at any time with no additional charge. With over 1,000 therapists in the UK already, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. And because you listen to this podcast, you can get 10% off your first month of online therapy by heading to betterhelp.com slash athleticfootball. That's B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P dot com slash athleticfootball with no spaces. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So last night on the field, Iran were knocked out of the World Cup. Off the pitch, their games have been dominated by anti-government protests sparked by the death in custody in September of Masa Amini, who was detained by morality police for allegedly breaking these strict rules around head coverings. Adam Crafton uh, has been writing about this alongside Laura Williamson, um, in particular about how female Iranian fans fear that they're being spied on whilst attending games. Adam is here with us. Charlotte Harper is also here, having spoken to fans detained for wearing Women Life Freedom shirts at this World Cup. My name is Saeed Kamalinia. My name is Kiarash. Negin. And I understand you wore the Women Life Freedom shirts that you're wearing today as well. Why was it important for you to wear them? So there is an unrest going on as we speak in Iran and now it's been going on for over two months now from mid-September 
when Masa Amini, a 22-year-old, was killed in custody by Iranian morale police. So since then, that unrest started, but right now we call it a revolution led by women. So that's why first women were just like asking for the right. Right now they're asking for change. But the slogan for the revolution is chanting the name of Masa Amini and also women, life, freedom. So there are three key things fundamental to our revolution and change we are asking. So Charlotte, that was you speaking to Saeed. If we can just sort of take a step back, how have we got to this, this point where the Iranian fans feel that it was, it was so necessary to be doing this on the world stage? So the women, life, uh, freedom slogan uh, came about after it was chanted at Masa Amini's funeral, the 22-year-old who died in police custody um, because she was arrested, or after she was arrested by a morality police for not wearing her hijab correctly. Now, the people that I spoke to want to raise awareness uh, of the situation in Iran, um, and especially against the government, and they feel that they didn't want the football to overshadow um, what is going on in their country. They didn't want it to be buried and they wanted to make sure that the rest of the world are aware of what is going on and that opportunity came at the World Cup. So just to sort of get stuck into the, the timeline, when was that clip recorded? So I spoke to uh, the group of three uh, before the France-Denmark game. So they had worn the shirts uh, throughout the first week in Iran's first game, um, a Brazil game, and the second game, uh, Iran-Wales, they definitely felt something was different. Um, they saw a lot of pro-regime supporters outside the ground, and so in light of that, they decided to wear a layer over their Women Life Freedom shirts. As they go through the ticket check, they are asked to pull up their tops, and the security see Women Life Freedom shirts, and they say, you're not allowed to wear this. Now, the trio question, you know, why is this the case? And they say it's intent of violation. But what violation? Of, of what rules? Where are the rules? Where is the clear explanation to say, I cannot wear this shirt? And so they're evicted from the stadium. They're not allowed to enter. Uh, Saeed explains that they tried again and uh, in some uh, devious way that he didn't want to reveal, um, got into the stadium and wore the shirts. Now they came out afterwards, they were peacefully protesting, they were chanting, they had the name Masomini on a, a placard, as well as the um, Iranian football player who had been arrested and has now been released. And they were coming out of the stadium uh, and away from their protest and they saw another woman extremely distressed now, her husband was taken by force and arrested for wearing a, an Iranian flag with a sun and lion, and that's the emblem of a previous a regime, a previous ruler, so in sense that it's anti the current government. She was extremely distressed, so they went with her um, and, and tried to find her husband. Now, it came about that uh, one of their friends went with the woman, and they were taken down into a, a detention center that they described it as, a ramp underneath the stadium and there were police officers there he said it, it very much felt like a police station um, he was interviewed said you're not allowed to wear the shirt was 
had his shirt taken off him, had a case number filed and had to sign a document to say he would never wear this again in Qatar. This brings us up to, to date now. Um, what was the situation like for the Iran-USA game, Adam? Because you were outside the ground speaking to, to fans about their experiences. Did we see any repeat of this? Yeah, I mean, there were definitely people there, men and women, who were wearing the Women Life Freedom t-shirts again. I think this time there were fewer um, people wearing these shirts because last time there'd been repercussions for people. And what had happened between the England versus Iran game, the first match of the group, and the um, Wales v Iran game, there hadn't been any clear communication by either FIFA or the Qatari authorities to say you can't wear these, these shirts. But the policy appeared to change because people were being stopped going into the stadium. Now, I think last night for the USA-Iran game, some people um, took the view that, you know, they'd kind of made their protest and they wanted to go and watch the football match and wanted to make sure they got in. And then at least if they're in, if they want to do any chance, then they can do that. Um, Others took a different view, right? Others thought, I'm going to do it again. Um, what I did see is quite a few who did wear the T-shirt had brought like in a little plastic carrier bag, a spare T-shirt just in case, right? Because if it's taken off them, then they still want to be able to go and watch the football match that they bought a ticket for. Um, I think it's hugely concerning what Charlotte said that Kuriash, who was taken into the detention center, having to sign a document never to wear a specific T-shirt in a country again. Like if you just step back, how ridiculous is that? How, how can that possibly be the case that a T-shirt that, bears no relation to the state that you're in, Qatar, you're having to sign a document to say, I'm not going to wear this again. Um, but just in terms of the US-Iran game last night, it was probably the, the best, uh, I say best, the, the most intense pre-match atmosphere that I've seen at this tournament. Certainly of the games that I've been to. I know people have said the Argentina games were fantastic atmospheres, but this was, this felt like a kind of Derby, there was like an edge around the atmosphere. It was more charged, wasn't it? It, it, was, it, was, it was charged. Um, and, and I met a 76-year-old guy, Thomas, outside the stadium. I'm supporting the Iranian woman. Yeah. I'm their voice. I'm proud of my 14-year-old girl. Uh, I'm proud of my university student girls and young boys that they are dying on the street of Tehran, Kurdistan, Baluchistan, and Tabriz. I'm proud of them. What would it mean to you at this time of your life to have an Iran that allows women to be free, to live their life, to, for your daughters, granddaughters to do everything they want to do? Um, I need them to be free. This is my voice. I am making their, wo- their voice louder yeah. to the world. So that was Thomas's account, Adam. The story that you wrote with, with Laura was almost the, the consequence of these protests on foreign soil and Iran seemingly acting to, to try and put even more pressure on the people that wanted to carry out those protests. You know, we've heard Charlotte say that, you know, Qatari officials were, were putting pressure on people, but this seems as if it's coming from Iran itself. Yeah, so, so this story related to, to people, that, uh, women that we'd spoken to that had been at the game, both the, the first Iran game against England and then also the Wales game. And these Iranian women who have become pretty attuned to when they're being watched and what it's like to protest, they said that they'd become aware of, of these men wearing, wearing suits and in some cases carrying binoculars 
um, who had been trying to intimidate them. And this had led to FIFA receiving reports uh, from supporters in stadiums to say that, they f that women, Iranian female fans in the stadiums, feared that there were state spotters there, I suppose almost trying to watch for who are the women causing problems, and I say that in, in, in inverted commas, um, who was trying to raise a voice. And, and I think these women feared potential repercussions if they were ever to return to the state of Iran under the current regime, or even for their families who are there as well. Um, and, it, uh, you know, it's a very, very sinister thing, right? This idea of men in suits, men in binoculars, watching you, tracking you, keeping tabs on on your behavior in, in a foreign state and, and how that could be permitted. Um, I think that as, you know, we know that the Qatari and Iranian, Iranian governments have had uh, closer relationships than other states in the Gulf over the last few years. There's been tie-ups between the Qatari Football Association and the Iranian Football Association in terms of memoranda of understanding that have been signed. Now, that doesn't mean that the Qatari government were necessarily aware of this or that the Qatari FA were aware of this. But, you know, what we do know is that there's been stronger links between Iran and Qatar than other places in the region, such as Saudi Arabia, for example. Charlotte, from your point of view, you know, Iran have now left the tournament, but they, their fans, at the very least, have, have left a, a legacy, haven't they? Do, what impact do you think this will have had on, on the, the broader political environment? Because these protests have been seen on a global stage. I mean, they've obviously been tried to be suppressed, but it has been talked about. It has put a, an extra spotlight on the issues going on back at home, hasn't it? And that's what the, the people that I spoke to said, that they do feel their mission has been accomplished to, to raise awareness. And that was their you know, priority, and I think that has been done. They were really adamant to say that everyone's cheering for Iran. Isn't it great? This World Cup, uh, Iran playing, and they just say it, it, it seems as though everything's normal back in Iran, and it's not. It's absolutely not. And that's the message that they wanted to get across. And of those people that I've spoken to, they are glad that Iran are out of the World Cup. Because the longer that Iran would stay in this competition, the longer that the pro-regime people have a platform to say, look, isn't our country amazing? What's happening in our country? Absolutely fine. No problem at all. So, yes, the protest has received awareness and got support and that's what they said they didn't didn't want this topic to be buried and our editor Alex Kajelski said on this podcast before the World Cup you know we have to keep talking about these issues because otherwise the football will just keep talking. Charlotte can I just ask you because I think for people who might be coming to this fresh it can be quite confusing there's obviously some Iranian supporters who are going to these games, but in some cases don't actually want their team to win, which is, which is something we don't really hear in football. Can you just explain a little bit about why that's the case? Why it is that exactly that, that people feel that it would be better for the team not to win under the current regime? I think the people I spoke to, they're not against the team, the team itself, but if you have a successful team doing well, 
like in England, as soon as any English team of any sport gets some, some success, everyone jumps on and goes, oh, wow, football, rugby, cricket. Yeah, I'll tune into this, even though I'm not a really big supporter of that sport. And the same would apply to Iran, that if they progress further and keep doing well, then it's as if the pro-regime uh, and the regime in Iran is galvanizing even more support. You know, we saw it with the anthem when uh, Jacob Whitehead wrote that they, they didn't uh, show that they were not singing the Iranian anthem in the first game. And that's censored by the government because they don't want to see people acting against them or protesting against them. So the people not wanting Iran to do well is because they don't want this government to have an even bigger platform than it has already. And just a final point from you, Adam. It is over in terms of protests at the World Cup. Did you gauge a feeling of, I, mean, I know Charlotte's mentioned the fact that you know, some fans wanted this over. So the showcase of Iran as a normal state ends. What about those fans now going back home, having been doing this on a, on a foreign shore? Is there a, is there a worry f from some of those fans, do you think, about heading back home? Yeah, because, you know, for us, this is a new story, right? For people watching, it's a kind of a fascinating thing that we've tuned into for a few days, a few weeks. And for these women in particular or anyone who's been photographed protesting, this is their lives, their families' lives. And, you know, it's very difficult to get clear information out of, out of Iran at the moment in terms of to, to see the truth of, of, of what's happening. But the, the reliable reports that people reading is that there are repercussions for those who protest and that that's a terrifying thing you know I mean some of the stuff we're talking about here signing documents to not wear a t-shirt again in a different in a different country um, state spotters possibly being at stadiums I mean this, this is serious real stuff um, and really really quite scary stuff I was trying to think last night of other I can't remember being around an atmosphere at a sports occasion like that before where that is possible i mean that is seriously sinister and quite eerie and spooky and yeah it's it's, hu it's hugely uncomfortable right this idea we talk about this by a swimming pool in a hotel and the, these are the lives that these people are going to have to go back to in some case I, I also think there's quite a lot of those who were protesting who were probably living in different countries i think as well who are a little bit more protected but i'm sure they have family and friends who will be affected no one who has Iranian nationality citizenship will not be affected in some way. Adam, Charlotte, thank you very much indeed. Uh, for more on all of the topics that we've discussed today and for the very best football writing around, you can subscribe to The Athletic for £2 or $2 a month for 12 months by heading to theathletic.com forward slash football pod. That's it for now. We will be back with you tomorrow. The Athletic.